We are in part two of our Ambassadors for the Kingdom series through the book of Philippians. And I entitled today's message, A Full Christian Life Together. A Full Christian Life Together. And I wanna begin by sharing some thoughts on how God designed both the human being and how he designed the church. Namely, here's what I mean. Human beings are created with a design flaw. Now, is it really a flaw? No, but it feels like it. We are created with a design flaw that we don't do very well alone. As a matter of fact, we were built and designed for community and relationship. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. God is a relational and communal being. How do we know that? Because we refer to him in triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When God says in his word, let us make man in our image with plurals all the way through, you see the nature of God that within himself, there is three persons that is relationship and community. He is completely full and he didn't just create us one day because he got bored. God never gets bored. He didn't just need somebody to talk to. He can talk within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything about the nature of God is community-based. And therefore, when we were created, we were created male and female. When he created us, we get together because I got part of what's going on with him. You've got a part of what's going on with him. And as we come together, we see the fulfillment of who God is in our community. This is part of how we were built. Human nature craves community. Here's another example. It's not an accident that a great punishment in prison is what? Solitary confinement. Why would that be a punishment? A lot of new parents think that sounds awesome. It's a punishment because we use other people to get our base on what's real. So for example, almost like a bat uses like an echo sonar concept. When you take us completely out of social context for too long, we can't get our bearings. We don't understand what is right and what is wrong. We don't understand how to live life. We need each other just to understand what life is really all about. Do you realize that we all began our lives fully dependent on each other. There's not a whole lot of toddlers walking around downtown by themselves, right? The end of most of our lives tend to be dependent as well on other people. It's in the middle time we get cocky. It's in the middle time that we start thinking, I'm autonomous, I can handle it myself, I don't need anybody. That is a mistake because if you are operating alone, you are becoming socially and relationally malnourished. Y'all know what signs of physical malnutrition is, right? So back in the day on TV, they used to have a whole bunch of uh, pictures and commercials about children in Calcutta, India, and they would talk about them starving to death, but their, their tummies were really big. The distended stomach is a sign of malnutrition. We can tell signs of physical malnutrition, but do you even know what it looks like to be relationally and socially malnourished? I bet you don't. It's gonna come out in different ways. It's going to cause breakdown in certain ways, but most of us are not very healthy socially and relationally, right? 
because we're not even sure what that looks like. God designed the church to be a community, a plural form, a group. So he would use metaphors like this, the body has many parts. Then he would say, even when he's talking about Jesus being the groom, we are the collective bride. Still, there's two involved. Everything's relational. He refers to it as the family of God. Think about it again, spiritual gifts. I remind you all the time, spiritual gifts only make sense in community. You can't teach alone. You can't serve alone. You can't help alone. You can't give wisdom alone. You can't heal alone. You can't prophesy alone. The whole process of the Holy Spirit operating through his church demands a group. It's how we were built. Think about what the church has accomplished together. For example, many of you know full well that the Jesus people movement wasn't one person. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a movement, right? Anybody been blessed by promise keepers and women of faith? Not by one person, right? Absolutely. This is a group of people, people coming together. Billy Graham never led a crusade, a full crusade by himself. It was always a group. Salvation Army requires an army, by definition. Compassion International needs hundreds of thousands to bless millions of children. Bridgeway Christian Church requires hundreds of volunteers just to pull off one weekend. What we accomplish together is extraordinary. We're not going to be able to do those alone. Let me give you another list. Together, we can encourage each other when your heart is down and my heart is up. Together, we can pray breakthrough in the spirit. Together, we can be the iron that sharpens iron so that we can come up with the best opinions. Together, we can collectively here at Bridgeway give hundreds of thousands of dollars to raise up a school in Uganda, to help the rehousing in the campfire, to carry out the BLESS project, and to pull off weekly community closet that feeds hundreds and a thousand of other endeavors that we do. You can't do that alone. We're doing that as a team, as a family. Together, we can circle the wagons when things get tough. Together, we can use proper peer pressure to realign those of us that go off the deep end and start hurting people, right? Together, our churches, because this is not just about Bridgeway, together, our churches can disciple a region filled with people of every nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, education level, and health status. What's my point? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. We are better together. Amen? We are better together. There's simply stuff we can't do alone. I understand it's easier in the beginning to be alone. I understand that relationships are complicated. I understand that friendships are hard to make. I understand that people are messy. What I'm telling you is we crave it, we need it, and we're better when we are together. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine through 12, in case you missed that. Absolutely, we are better together. Now I'm gonna tell you about another way that we are together, and that is, that we have missional communities here at Bridgeway. It's our version of small groups. And, and what it means is that we gather together to be able to process stuff and do life together. Uh, recently, we've been having those groups go through the sermon messages through some of our different series, and we're doing that through Philippians 2. 
If you are not currently in a group and you want to be a part of one, you can get in touch with Heather Johnson. She's our director of missional communities. You can either email her at hjohnson at bridgeway.church or just text LIFE, L-I-F-E, to 33222. 33222. It fires out a form out to her. She's able to get back to you and let you know if there is a group in your area. But in these groups, we're processing the sermon. I just got a chance to start my next group uh, this last week, right? Processing the sermon stuff. Well, here's the deal. I've prepped different questions and concepts that we're going to go through. So here's one of the questions you're going to be talking about in your groups. And that is this. Where have you seen isolation really hurts you? Where in your life have you seen you being isolated and it really cost you? And where have you seen the church come together? It doesn't have to be a bridgeway. It could be anywhere. Where have you seen the church come together and do extraordinary things? You guys, isolation is very dangerous and togetherness is very powerful. Um, I'm going to use an old school example to talk about the dangers of isolation, all right? Now, once again, I know this is overused, especially by me, but I'm going to do it again. I need a quick show of hands. How many of you remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? Raise your hand. Yes, praise God. All right. Do you know the song? Right? Yeah, y'all remember this. I was talking with folks last night after service, and they said it came on right before the wonderful world of Disney. I didn't even know that. But anyway, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, the dude that ran that show was Marlon Perkins. Everybody remember that? Marlon Perkins was a very old man. Uh, I think he is still alive somewhere cryogenically frozen, but he is not. He passed away in 1986. So Marlon Perkins, this show, in case for you that are probably under 40, this show was kind of the first National Geographic television concept before National Geographic television was around. Like the magazines had been around for a really long time, but this was the first one on TV that would tell you about how the world works in the natural wild, right? And so Marlon Perkins would hang out in a very safe studio And he'd always point out, Jim's out in the field being mauled by a lion, you know, and Jim is out there, you know, risking his life, and and Marlon's completely fine. But anyway, they would always show the circle of life on TV. And so you knew what was going to happen. The camera would pan over, and there's little wildebeest, right? And they're like, ooh, what a beautiful pond. I'm just going to have a little drink here, right? And you're like, oh, shoot, something bad's going to happen. And so sure enough, the camera pans over, and it's like, little do they know that there's a pride of lions in the, fo- in the field over here, right? And they're creeping up on them really slowly. Now, here's what lions know. They know that if they attack a herd of wildebeest all at once, it's going to get ugly and they're going to get hurt. So they don't want to do that. So they have a plan. What's the plan? Scatter the herd. It's the way it always works. So they come in and they chase up everybody and all the wildebeest are like, oh my gosh, I didn't see it coming. And they're running everywhere and everybody's going ballistic. And they're scouting for one in particular wildebeest. Who's that? It's the little inhaler wildebeest, right? Where he's like, okay, guys, I'm going. And he's trying to run, right? This little guy is running. Everyone's like, run, Elliot, run, right? And he's like, I'm coming. And he's trying to get in the, and the lions all know who Elliot is. And so they're like, ha ha. And so they, they start cutting him out and isolating. And he can't keep up, right? 
And he's like, tell my mother I love her. You know, it's that kind of thing. And then sure enough, wham, he just gets taken out. It's like the most depressing show ever, right? And then, and then Elliot is now, you know, he's being cooked up and eaten. But anyway, it's this whole idea that you go, you know, does this have anything to do with the message? Yeah, it totally does. Why? Why? Why do you think the Bible says that the devil goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour? I mean, you guys, come on. You think he ain't doing that to you? Because here's the reality. Is he really going to come and confront the church when we're together? That's ridiculous. He's going to get hurt. Why? Because the presence of the Holy Spirit is so strong and so rich here. What does he do? Hit you when you get home. His whole idea is to square you off and try to tie you out. And then he goes, ah, gotcha. And he's like, oh, you wrestling with depression? Oh, that's real sad for you. I'm going to have to jump on that. Oh, are you wrestling with anxiety? Oh, I'm going to have to take advantage of that. Oh, are you struggling right now with physical weakness? Oh, are you, right? Because he's trying to constantly get us out on the side. Only then can he take us out. It's why we need each other, why we constantly have to have defense, right? Because there's times that you're going to be weak, and I need to be the one to be the intercessor praying for you. I'm covering you while you're resting up and getting healthy again. It's that idea that if there's a wounded animal and the rest of them circle around it and back it up and say, listen, until this one is back up on their feet, we got you, right? That's how church should work. Would you turn with me to, first, uh, to Philippians chapter one, verse seven. Philippians chapter one, verse seven. If you need to find it, it's page 980, and the Bible is under the seat in front of you if you need to track that down. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV as normal. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to read 7 through 11. That's what we're going to study together, just so we can get a context. Here's what Paul said. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what did you hear when I read that? It's your first time through. You're like, I couldn't go real deep, pastor. No, 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 surface. What'd you hear? Here's what I hear. Man, that dude's really intense. That's what I hear. Why? Because he's using phrase like, I yearn for you, the affection of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about you all the time, right? So some of us that read the Bible, sometimes we get into the letters of Paul and we go, man, that guy's kind of rude. Like he's got a lot of rough edges. He's not very nice. I want to remind you what he's like. He's intense. He feels very intensely Everything he did and everything he writes is based on his passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, his passion for the church, and his passion for the gospel. He literally died serving God's people. That's how it works. So whenever you read something from him that's a little bit harsh, remember this. Man, he loves really, really intensely. And that's what I want to lean into here for a moment. Let's go back up into verse 7 and we'll examine it verse by verse. He said, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Feel what way? Well, that's what we covered last week. So let me just give you a real quick recap of verse three through six. 
He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, so he said, it's good for me and it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace. You're all believers but you've also been partnership both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What's he saying? I hold you in my heart. That means God, uh, excuse me, that means Paul thinks about them all the time. That means he worries about them all the time. That means he is constantly checking in with them. That means he carries them around with him wherever he goes. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. You all, the best shepherds of God's kingdom care about their people desperately. Now, I gotta tell you, there is something that's a little bit weird for me. God calls many different people into the ministry. He calls men and women of all different personalities into the ministry. The ones that are hardest for me to understand, because I'm not like this, is that I have met a number of pastors that don't like people. It's weird to me. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like, that's like a shepherd not liking sheep. And you're constantly going, oh, I hate the sheep. It's like, what? Uh, you're a shepherd, that's kind of what you do. And the problem with that is that the people become an agitation or a part of a problem, not the point. You understand what I'm saying? And now, in the way that we run church today, you can be a senior pastor and be an administrator. That is a little bit of an oddity about the way that modern day America church works, but it is always odd to me if there's not a love and a devotion towards God's people. Because in my mind, who's our greatest role model? Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, man, I love you literally to death. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He said, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate to you that I'm thinking about you all the time, and I will do whatever it takes to make sure you're safe. That is our shepherd role model. We're supposed to care about the people around us. He moves on. He said this. He said, you are partners with me in my imprisonment. While Paul is writing this, he's in jail. Why? Because he was promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and it wasn't popular and it wasn't legal at the time. Now he's gonna get out, but he doesn't know that. So in his mind, he would rather be out there spreading the gospel, but now he's locked up. So he's saying, man, I love the fact that you Philippians are out there because I have way less anxiety knowing you're out there hitting the streets, sharing the gospel, loving on people, and doing the stuff that I should be doing. Not only that, but you're paying my bills. Like I'm in prison and you're taking care of me while I'm here. I can't work while I'm in here. He said, man, you Philippians, you're awesome. He said, you are partners with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, Paul had two primary opponents in the gospel. There were two groups that primarily had a problem with Christianity that kept confronting Paul. Number one was the Roman people and their spiritual views. 
Now, I got to explain how Roman spirituality works because it's not at all how we work it. Romans in that day had multiple gods and goddesses. There were temples all over the cities. Their engagement with their gods and goddesses were all about ritual perfection, not internal morality or relationship. So your god or goddess didn't have any opinion about how you ought to live the motivation of your heart. They didn't care. The whole point was serve the God by giving stuff and doing stuff, and you got to do it right. So you would kind of go, listen, I believe in these six gods, so I'm going to go to each temple, and I'm going to give my offering. I'm going to make sure that I do the right things, and they took it real seriously because they believed that you either angered the gods or they were on your side. So it was all about external adherence. So they were also very, very tolerant. Tolerance was a huge deal in their culture. So when Christianity starts getting popular, it became an irritant. What they wanted was Christians to go, hey, we serve a new God and just set up your temple and just shut your mouth and go on about your business. But Christianity started saying stuff like there's only one God, that's super intolerant, right? That irritated them. And then Christianity started saying stuff like the inside matters, your heart matters, how you act matters. Well, all that stuff is just bugging these people. So they would rather Christianity just go away. The other group that went up against him was the Jews, and that was a whole different ballgame. Why? Because Christianity is way too close for comfort. Christianity was not like the Roman paganism that the Jews could say, listen, you guys are lost anyway, just do your own thing. Christianity was saying, we are you fulfilled. We are Judaism with the Messiah. And that is just a no-no for the Jews, right? You are stepping on serious toes. You're stepping in territories of heresy and blasphemy. And they're not only wanting you to just go away, they need you shut down. Everything you're talking about, you saying that Jesus is the anointed one, the one of the Old Testament, the one that is from God, all that stuff is rattling their cage. And so if you wanna talk about who the main opponent was to Paul's ministry, it was the Jewish people. They would go head to head with them. And so he always had to defend and confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how would he do that? How would he defend? Well, here's basically how it went down. He would start preaching somewhere and the Jews would come in and they'd go, what did you just say? Well, I said, Jesus is the Messiah. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. No, he's not. Yeah, you know, okay, how long are we going to do this? Because then you have to get into the details of it. Paul has to go back and go, listen, guys, you know I'm one of you. Man, I know the Old Testament backwards and forwards, so let's play this game. Remember, in the prophecies, it says this, this, and this. You know Jesus fulfilled all that stuff. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Okay, let's go another route. Remember his genealogy. Do you want to start from Adam or do you want to start from what? King David? I'll play this game with you all day long because he's the rightful king. He came through the right tribe. You guys, this is him. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. And he spent so much of his time trying to defend and discuss and explain why he believed Christianity was true. Now, with the pagan Romans, he was mostly engaging with philosophers. And they were always just trying to debate with him about just random, this is an interesting thought you have? Hmm, 
And he's like, no, it's like life and death. No, it's interesting, interesting. And he's, so he'd say stuff like this. You guys are into so many different gods around here. Man, you kind of pulled it down from the Greeks and everything. You know what? You gotta, there's got to be one God that created all this stuff, right? Okay, that's my God. I'm just telling you. They're like, hmm, that is interesting. No! No, it's life and death, right? So he always had this opposition. So he had to defend it. But then he also says, you guys were partners with me in confirming it. That's different. In my opinion... This concept of confirming the gospel meant what? It meant they lived it out to show it was legit. How do you live it out? You live it out not only with your internal integrity, you not only live it out by sharing the gospel, you not only live it out by what? Being in love with Jesus Christ out loud, but you live it out in signs and wonders. You live it out in bringing the kingdom. You live it out in all these ways. Paul was saying, man, the Philippians, you're just living out loud, and I am so proud of you for confirming that the gospel is real. Do you realize that my vision for Bridgeway is this? I want so desperately for us, at least this body of believers. Now, my heart is for the entire Bigger C Church, right? So all the different churches, obviously, this is my passion for, but I only have access to speak vision into this local body. My dream and desire is that we would go out and live actively the kingdom, that everyone knows, man, at Bridgeway, they're always confirming whether or not they're praying for people and people are getting healed or whether or not they're over here sharing the gospel or whether or not they're saying, listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm just telling you I've studied scripture and this is what I see. I'm telling you my own personal testimony. I'm not telling you you're wrong just because I wanna be right. I'm trying to tell you this is what God did for me. I once was blind and now I see. That's it. I dream of our church going out mobilized to where we are what I would say is an Acts 14, 3 passage, which it says, and as they went out sharing Jesus Christ, the Lord confirmed it with signs and wonders and power. This is really my dream. I want to lean into, amen? Yeah, praise God. I want to lean in more and more to that active living of Christianity where there is a demonstration. How many times did Paul say, and he said it three times, how many times did he say the phrase, I did not just come to you with word, but in deed. I came to you with the power of the kingdom of God so that your truth might not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of God. So once again, where are we going? Where are we leaning into? We're leaning into confirming and defending the gospel in every different way. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep moving forward. Go to verse eight. He said, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more. What's his point? I yearn with affection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, man, my role model is Jesus and he super loves you. I wanna love you like that. That's how I feel. I love like God loves. And I'm not cool with me just loving like that. I need you guys to love each other like that. I need your love to abound more and more. You don't just get to love the pastor and ignore everybody else, or you don't just get to love your spouse and ignore everybody else. We're in this together, and we need to have feelings for one another. Let me give you an example. There is a man here in this church 
that is lodged in my heart, I think about him all the time. As a matter of fact, I probably have been praying for him in the last five days, seven times a day. Who's this guy? Well, his name's Joshua Pock. I don't know if you've got a chance to meet him, but Joshua Pock's been around here for a while. He's younger than me, which makes him really young. I'll just keep telling myself that, but anyway. He's younger than me, has two kiddos and his wife, Rachel. Joshua is one of those guys that's just super, super cool, right? Where he's like gentle, kind of has that Jesus demeanor, and he's gone through a series of battles of cancer throughout his life. Well, he is struggling right now with brain cancer. Now, he has glioblastoma, which is the same thing I lost my dad to last year. So it made it kind of ping in my mind where I'm kind of tracking on that. Joshua, throughout all this stuff of the cancer treatment and the chemo and all this different stuff, he serves here at the church the whole time. So he just is a volunteer. He's sitting at the front desk and he's always around the building. And he's the guy that always wants to honor the Lord, right? So you're like, you're like hey, Joshua, how you doing? And he's like, he's like I'm blessed. I'm good. Where I, I always have to tell him, I'm like, Joshua, you're a human being. You're allowed to have a bad day, man. It's okay. Well, the other day, last weekend, I saw him walk in. He has a walker now, right? Because he, first he didn't need anything, then he needed a cane. Well, then he started falling because the glioblastoma was getting worse. And so now he's just going across the top with his walker. And I was like, dude, how you doing? And he's like, you know what? My body's failing me. And he's like, I'm really, really frustrated. Okay. That guy, I can't shake him because he's one of those guys that, you know, some other people, when they, when they really feel bad, they turn nasty and mean. He's one of those guys where he's scared and it's difficult, but he just keeps having the heart of Jesus. Well, he's a, I have a post-it note on my desk and it says, healing for Joshua Pock. What am I praying for? You guys, when I come into this evening's healing and prayer night, who do you think's on my brain? That guy. Man, I'm gonna try to find that guy, and I'm just hoping that he gets prayed for by every one of you, because I can't shake it. I just want him okay. I want his kiddos to have their dad fully and healthy, and I want him thriving, because I need guys like him in this church, right? So this is my point. Paul said, I yearn with you guys for affect with affection. So here's one of the questions we're gonna talk about in our groups. Where's your love level and affection for your church? Do you think about us? If you're not here, do you miss us? Do you wanna know us? Or are you completely fine being kinda of on the periphery and just not being very connected? Because what I believe that Paul was trying to tell us is that we're never gonna be the church we're designed to be until we, until we start really caring about each other's lives. And the only way to do that is to know each other, right? So that's my question. What would it look like if your heart was beginning to move for your church? What if you carried us around with you everywhere you went? What if what Paul's heart was for the Philippians was your heart for Bridgeway? What would that look like? That's what we're gonna be talking about in our groups. Here's what he said. He said, man, I sure pray your love would grow just like mine is growing. What does he mean? How do you make your love grow? Well, two things. First of all, I want us to understand that whenever love is used in a Christian context, it has an action element to it. 
It means you're looking for the other person's best interest and you wanna do whatever it takes to bless them rightly and you put yourself on the back burner and them on the front. That's what Christianity talks about being love. So it's more of an action than it is simply a feeling, but do feelings matter? They matter a lot. The Bible says that we must love one another from the heart. Jesus, who is the head of Christianity, the most common descriptive word used for him in the New Testament was what? Compassion. It meant he was moved, the Greek word says, from the deepest part about him. When he saw the leper, it was not a cold, calculated transaction. It was, oh my gosh, this guy is hurting so bad and he never has anyone touch him. I'm not only gonna heal him, but I'm gonna close the gap between him and I and I'm gonna minister to him right now. That's our leader. That's the one we're chasing after, right? So sure enough, feelings do matter. And this is where unfortunately people are saying, you know what? My feelings are my feelings, pastor. Like if I don't love someone, I don't love anybody. You can't just make that stuff up. I disagree. Why? Because you're a human being. Human beings are highly malleable. Human beings, as a matter of fact, our emotions are secondary to our thoughts, meaning that what we think will dictate our feelings. Let me give you a couple other explanations. We are moved by our surroundings. If we wanna change our emotions, we need to change either our actual environment, which is our circumstance, or change our mindset, our perception. When our perception changes, we think different things. When we think different things, we feel different things. So what you can't do is tell me, I just don't feel in love with God. Fix it. You're a human being. Well, I don't know, I can't really love a God. Yeah, you can. Why? Because you're human. Well, I just don't love my spouse. Let's work on that. Because it just doesn't, you don't just go, well, I just can't work with, you're a human, we can work with that. Well, I just, in my friendships, they've just grown cold and I just don't really care as much. Okay, let's do something about that, right? Let me give you an example on why this is so true. Movies, quick show of hands. How many of you saw the movie back in the day called Marley and Me? Anybody see that movie? Raise your hand, right, suckers? <laughs> Stupidest movie on the planet. Here's why. Anybody know how much I love animals? Yeah. Okay, I'm obsessed with animals. And I love animal, all animals, whether they're cute or not. I happen to really, really like dogs. You know what Marley and Me is about? A dog dying for an hour and a half. Dogs on the stupid veterinary table dying for an hour and a half. 20 minutes into the whole movie. I walked in normal. 20 minutes into the movie, I am bawling. I cried for the entire movie. It was so loud and embarrassing that my wife had to, I mean, she had to really shut it down from going, dude, man up. Like, what is wrong with you? All she did was pet my head and go, it's gonna be okay, right? Because here's the thing. Now I realized logically that the dog was just acting. He wasn't really dying. But in my mind, he was dying. And I was like, the dog doesn't understand why he's dying. The dog's really scared right now and nobody will help him out. And there's, I'm praying for the dog. I mean, it's just, I'm just falling apart in this movie, right? Worst movie I've ever been through. All right, what's my point? I walked in in one mindset. 
20 minutes into it, I'm in a completely different mindset. My emotions are flying all over the place. So don't tell me that you just simply can't change emotions. Of course you can. You're getting manipulated all the time. It's what every advertisement on TV is doing to you, right? It's stimulating your emotions. They know if they can change your perception, they can change your feelings. So once again, now I understand some of us are emotionally messed up. We've had trauma in our past and it's very hard for us to feel anything. We have all these defense mechanisms. What I'm telling you is the responsibility of a believer is to get deep enough healing that we can actually feel like Jesus feels. That's what I'm telling you. Verse nine, he said, I don't just want your love to grow, I want your knowledge to grow and all discernment to grow so you can approve God's will, what is excellent. What does he mean? Knowledge is knowing facts. Discernment is knowing how to connect the facts. We think of discernment a little better in the terms of wisdom. You know who was super discerning in the Bible? Joseph. If you remember the story back in the Old Testament, Pharaoh had a vision. And when Joseph got a hold of it, he said, I know what that means. You're gonna have seven good years and then seven bad years of famine. You need to prep. What you need to do is grab someone that is wise and discerning, and you need to put them in charge so they can say, you know what, we've been tracking on, it's been seven years, we got enough. We need to store all that up so we can go through the bad years. What do you think Pharaoh's response was? Dude, you're the smartest guy I know. You're the one that put this all together in the first place. I'm putting you in charge. You know who else asked for this? Solomon. He gets a vision from God and God says, what do you want? And he's like, man, I am young and I gotta lead a whole nation. I don't even know what I'm talking about. God, I don't just need facts. I need wisdom to put the facts together. Please bless me. And God did. And he poured some of that wisdom into a book called Proverbs, right? Here's what Paul's praying. He's saying, listen, you guys, the definition of success in our world is obeying God. How are you gonna obey him if you don't even know what he wants? I'm gonna pray that you would know the facts and then you'd know how to put the facts pieces together so that you can walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. Because when you walk in alignment and obedience with Jesus Christ, a couple things start happening. Look at the next verse. He said, and so you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. What's the point? When you start living in obedience because you know God's will, you track on it and you line up with it, sin falls away. Why? It's just practical. What does sin mean? Any violation of the will of God. What happens if you get in the will of God? There's no more sin. That's all his point is. It's very practical. When you're walking in obedience and tracking with the Lord's will, sin has no control over you and it has no access to you. You're not walking in sin. That becomes pure and blameless, but you're not pure and blameless because you did it right. You're pure and blameless because you're aligned and Jesus pours his pure and blamelessness. <laughs> Golly. Uh, it's trying to get to a point. I was trying to hold it back. I was like, in my head. Okay, it didn't work. Don't look at the light. Don't look at the light. Okay, anyway. It's that when we align with God, then all of Jesus's pure and blamelessness pours down into us. Remember, Christianity does not say you gotta do everything right to become pure and blameless. He says, I wanna make you pure and blameless, just walk with me. That's what Christianity means. 
So Paul said, man, I just want that for you guys so much. Why? The last line of that, for the praise and glory of God. When we're walking with him, when we're being filled up by him, when we're being empowered by him, when we're living for him, man, it makes him look good. When we sin, it's not awesome. But when we're tracking with him, all of heaven and earth is going, wow, God matters because of the way that we're living, yeah? Here's how we're gonna close it out. Can we have the prayer team come on up here? Um, here's the deal. We have worship, prayer, and healing night. One of the cool things about being part of a body like Bridgeway is that we come together collectively. And this is, you won't be able to do this at home by yourself to be able to get prayer from prayer warriors and all that stuff. So I wanna make use of us being together today. The prayer team's coming on up here. We're praying that they're anointed. We've already prayed over them. And so they're gonna be able to really finish up today's message if you need extra prayer. But what I'm gonna do is I wanna get the ball rolling of the worship, prayer, and healing night started right now. And what I mean by that is I just wanna start having the Lord pour in his healing into your life right now. So that by the time you get here tonight, man, you are all marinated. You know what I mean? Like you come in and you're already ready to go and somebody's praying over you and God's breaking through and doing all kinds of stuff. So here's what I need you to do. If any of you have a physical or emotional or mental need, I want you to stand up right now. We're gonna pray for your healing right here, right now. We're gonna get this thing started, released into your life. Yep, so everyone that's not standing, you are now a prayer warrior. I want you to be thinking about the people right next to you. You don't know what's going on with them, but you're praying into them, right? You're just saying, Lord, that one, that one, that one. Just be praying like crazy, all right? We're gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We are here in your house, this house of healing, this house of blessing. So Lord, in your presence, we are asking for your assistance, that Lord, you can only do what we cannot do. No human being in this building can heal anybody. Only you, God, can heal. So Holy Spirit, we release into your will, into your way. Father, if there is any needs right here that are standing up, that they have no business being here, that there's no disease that was allowed here, that this was not something they need to be walking through, I pray in the name of Jesus, full and complete healing to wash over their bodies right now. What that means, God, is in our limited understanding, would you purify the toxins in our blood? Would you purify the tissues of our body? Would you heal the bones of our skeletal frame? Would you put our minds back together if they have been distorted in some way? I pray for all mental health issues in the name of Jesus to be righted in the name of the Lord. I pray, God, that you would be able to handle all the emotional, broken hearts that are standing up right now. That, Lord, you would release your healing, and even as we go, Father, there would be this power that we feel that we are near you. And when we're in your presence, stuff happens. God, glorify yourself, glorify your name, that you might be great and mighty in our minds and in our community. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.